Broadcasting from the spaceship in the sky to the simulation in the mind. Let's all embark on another journey of Conversations on the Fringe. All right, good evening. How is everybody doing tonight? Well, usually a good morning, good evening, good afternoon, but it's just good evening because I know where my audience is. Uh, welcome to the Red Pill Project's Conversations on the Fringe. This is where we put aside the political, the economic, and uh, the geostrategic talk for the week, and uh, we buckle on our conspiracy eyes, and we talk about the things that are outside of normal conversation. This is uh, probably one of my favorite nights of the week because instead of getting all hyped up about politics, I get to... Uh, uh, I get to learn things. I get to understand new concepts, and I get to, uh, um, you know, share my knowledge as well. Tonight uh, we have an astounding guest who's coming on, who's going to join us in just a few minutes, Laura Lee Scaife. And uh, Laura Lee's been with us uh, quite a few times on this show, but this is going to be a fantastic show. We're going to have a great conversation. The topic being astrodynamics, and then my part of the conversation, subtle energy fields. And uh, Vince Tagliavia over there. Hey, Vince Vince. Hi, Vince. how are we doing? Yeah, I'm oh, doing very good. Happy having Friday. You. We made Thanks it. For having you, like you're you're an integral part of this operation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Fridays are the best. I've been waiting all day for this moment. Yeah. I tell you. I tell you. And uh, Laura Lee just messaged me. She goes, is it okay if I read this during the... I said, yeah. So we're live now. Let's get in. So she's, she'll be joining here in a second. All right. And, uh, you know, um, 7.30. Hold on. 7.30 Pacific. It's 6.30 Pacific. Yeah, nope. So yeah, she thought we had an hour. Uh, Nine thirty p.m. EST. Right. I'm sure she'll jump in as quickly as she can. We'll she get right yeah, she said she hey. just needs a few minutes. So she just said she just needs a few minutes. So it's all you know good. What, uh, you know what I'm looking forward to here as we wait. The new moon here in a couple of days or three days. New moon. So you know this is interesting. So we got a new moon coming up. Obviously, October was a really hot month with solar activity a solar eclipse a lunar eclipse oh yeah um, we had um back in september we too. had the the autumn equinox we had all that stuff happening uh we had eris entering at the north node of the moon which uh laura lee's going to talk about tonight cool. um now we have the new moon coming in but also we have a ramping up of the solar maximum of massive solar activity and i made this correlation over and over and over and over again. Oh. And I cannot stress this correlation, people. Every single time that we see this type of activity, what other type of activity do we see? We see earthquake act earthquake earthquake activity. Yeah. So, so it's solar activity, earthquake activity. Hmm. Yep. So Fox News post put out earlier solar storm. Solar superstorm could wipe out the internet for weeks or months, scientists say, as we move into one of the um, most massive solar maximums that they've seen in a very, very long time. We have an incredibly active uh, sun. Yeah, it's interesting. And one of my theories has always been is that the core of the Earth is under immense pressure, and we have to have a way to create the magnetic field. We always think magnetic field, but you cannot have a magnetic field without an electric field. So that means that it's the Earth's electromagnetic field. And in order for the magnetic field to be created, how does it get created? Well, 
there has to be some type of electrical currents operating in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And geoscientists really um, don't explain that very well. My theory is that you have the core of the Earth is most likely something that has piezoelectricity induced into it. So yeah, because of like the immense it. pressures that are induced onto the core of the Earth, you have an electric field that surrounds it, and that electric field gives off that magnetic field. And that, that pressure that's induced, so if you put pressure on a crystal, you'll have an electric field. So if you uh, deform the mechanics of it, pressure, okay. right? You'll yeah, variations. Electric, electromagnetic field. So how would you control the pressure on the core of the Earth? Movement. Movement, that's right. And, and so if you think about it like a hydraulic system, is if we want to increase or decrease the pressure on the core of the earth to increase or decrease the magnetic field, that means that the things above the outer core and the mantle would have to be, have Which... some type of system that allows compression, that allows movement, allows pressure to release on one side or increase on the other. And what do we have? Earthquakes. Or like a shifting earthquakes. Yeah. Things. So one thing that I've always predicted is that when you have a ramping up of solar, um, uh, solar storms, Typically, what you'll see is you'll see massive seismic activity. And we, everybody who's watched this show for a long time, we've shown this over and over and over again. And what do we have? We have this last few days, they've been saying massive solar storms, massive solar storms. Um, here, I'll play this short little video right here. Solar storms can actually disrupt and even damage technology on Earth. The Carrington event happened in the year 1859 stands as the strongest observed solar storm in modern human history. Now, that caused a lot of problems is back when we had the telegraph, but we almost had one in 2012. Earth narrowly missed that one. So if or when it happens, a solar storm that impacts the globe could become a $2 trillion disaster because it is a magnetic energy that comes through with these storms. And that's where we could have problems if it were to occur might take a decade for us to recover. Some of the destruction of communication infrastructure could bring about the end of the internet. You heard me right. This idea was actually explored by a UC Irvine student. She researched the potential in her paper entitled, Solar Superstorms, Planning for an Internet mm. Apocalypse. One of the an internet apocalypse? Huh, isn't that interesting? You that know, would be convenient for some certain agendas that we make. There, there, yeah, there's so much to say on this topic right now. Like, Lord, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm gonna see if I can find the clip that um, I, I wanted to talk about. It, it's a, uh, it was a TV show that was on television back in 2012, 2013, that time frame, and it was called Revolution. Hmm. And Not familiar. Oh, dude, it, it, I think it's on, um, I think it's on Netflix now, not Netflix. It's on Amazon prime now, mm -hmm. but the show, basically there's a major cataclysm that happens and electricity no longer works in the world. And there's this one scene where the woman is trying to like send a message to this one guy. She's trying to like join a militia and stuff. And she goes in there and says, and by the way, this takes place, this is 2020, 2012, but it's taking place in the future around 2020, right? She goes into this. Hold on, I'm not really following you. Okay, so this show oh, actually aired around 2012. Place. The setting was, is in 2020. 
the setting was in 2020, okay. 2022, 2023. So in the non-distant future. Right. Okay. So okay. the it. woman, she goes in and she gives a code word to this guy to let the guy know that she was an American, like a, a patriot, right? And you know what she says to the guy? What? I want to see all the presidential records of Joe Biden. What? Whoa, dude. Oh. I know, right? But they wrote that in and they wrote that a decade prior. But so ended up what happened is a DARPA project basically yes. to inhibit electrical connectivity, nanotechnology that basically eats and absorbs electrical um, energy was released and it self-replicated and it filled the entire atmosphere and shut down all electronics on the planet. Rogue nanotechnology. Rogue nanotechnology. Uh, and the show ended abruptly, but apparently I think Amazon is bringing it back, which would be really cool. Uh, but what's interesting about that <clears throat> is yeah. that news broadcast mentioned uh, the solar storm of 2012 that just nearly missed us. I want everybody to understand this. So a Carrington, a Carrington level event would basically wipe out everything. Cars, infrastructure, internet. In 2012, we had two solar flares that occurred in July of 2012. Okay. One of them passed between the earth and the moon. The other one. Okay. And by the way, if one of these hit us, it would have been the end of the world in 2012. Like directly. Yes, like we would not have survived 95% of the population perish, civilization would have been done. And I've heard okay. that number, yeah, that now, a small percentage will would hypothetically. Here's the make. crazy thing, and you can look this up to fact check this. When the solar storm happened, they didn't tell anybody. Wow. And not only did they not tell anybody, is it was classified until 2015. The government classified those solar flares. And now there's a reason why they classified the solar flares. You want to know the reason why? Hysteria. They have no idea how they missed us. Oh, that's trippy. Alien so, intervention. So what they know is that it was almost like both of the solar flares were reflected away from the earth as if the earth had some type of protective mechanism that protected it from a massive solar flare. Okay. Like, wow. I mean, if you think of the expansion of the sun, right? The sun's solar energy coming towards earth. The earth yeah. is a little pin dot and this solar energy is encompassing it. And something basically stood in front of the earth and made it go by the moon on the side. The other side, it, it, it uh, reflected it away further. And they didn't release this information declassified to like 2015. So, and they don't really know what deflected it or caused that deflection. And number one is they, they classified it. They didn't tell anybody in the planet because they really did think that the planet was going to be done. That's why they classified it. But then what happened is they both missed and they said, well, we don't know what happened. So they kept it classified. Right. Yeah. But so, you know, this is what I want you to understand is mm -hmm. if we had a massive solar flare headed to the earth yes. that was going to wipe out all of our electronic infrastructure, the government won't tell you. They're mm -hmm. not going to warn you. They're not going to say anything. They're going to pick up the pieces after. 
Yeah. As a matter of fact, that goes for any type of major event. Uh, for instance, one that we are going to be seeing here in a few weeks when this cold front comes through and these different cycles keep clashing. Cold weather's coming, folks. And uh, people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, this cold snap. I didn't know. So yep. traffic jams, these kinds of things. But with the Carrington level event, that's a whole other story. It, it is. And yeah, and it's so, going to come out of nowhere. And I think that we could potentially have something like that happen. And and look who we got here. Awesome. We got Miss Laura Lee. Laura Lee, how are you? Hey I'm good. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Wow. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, I'm sorry about being late. Um, no, I think that's my fault, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, so um, did I miss anything while you guys were uh, talking? We were talking about solar activity. We we're talking about solar flares, Carrington level events. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of seismic activity happening today in ah, Iceland. There was hmm. over oh, really? 1,200 different earthquakes in Iceland after a volcano erupted uh, today alone. And what? Uh, we have some yeah. imagery here. Yeah, and I've actually made the uh, correlation over the many years that I've done this show of seismic activity, volcanic activity. Um, and solar flares that typically when we have a massive solar flare, you're going to see um, uh, seismic activity. And I, and I explained to everybody the reason why that is specifically is one of my theories was that the earth is uh, the earth core is piezoelectric in nature, which means that if you induce pressure onto it, it produces an electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. And that pressure is created um, either increased or decreased by hydraulic activity, basically the oil of the earth, the organic materials of the earth, increasing mm -hmm. and decreasing the pressure under the tectonic plates that can move, release pressure, or fluctuate and, and increase pressure. Mm. And wow. so every time that we've seen massive solar activity, it's directly correlated with seismic activity. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, going man. over that explanation, yeah. And I don't know how I missed this. But there's also new islands being created off the coast of uh, Iwo Jima, Japan, uh, this year, this month. Oh, new islands. Look at that. Well, that's some new territory, some new land. Let's go. Let's go start our own country. All right. Yeah. United well, States. Uranus uh, rules um, things like volcanoes and earthquakes oh. and all of those kinds of things. And uh, Uranus is definitely. Um, on the march lots going on with our friend uranus the liberator yeah well let me let me go ahead and for everybody who's new to laura lee who doesn't remember laura lee she's an astrologer and an educator who weaves astrology mythology and union psychology to provide a rich symbolic map of the psyche um laura lee and she's just phenomenal i mean i the last what six seven months that i've been talking with laura lee um has been just mind-blowing in the sense of how um accurate it is and we came with some kind of uh, explanation for all this that you know we are surrounded by an ocean of energy and consciousness mm -hmm. and that everything is in movement within that ocean and it creates rip currents it creates tides it creates uh little ripples it creates big waves and that happens through all the movements and the interactions of the movements. And those things have profound effects on the mind, on the psyche, on the emotions, and mm -hmm. on the unfoldment of reality itself. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, Laura Lee, 
you wanted to go ahead and start oh, with uh, uh, this uh, this 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 thing that you wrote up. So I want you to go ahead yeah. and kind of give us a review, if, if that would be awesome. Okay, is should I read it or is it too? It'll take a couple of minutes. Go right ahead. Let's go. Oh, okay. The stage well, is yours. That, all right. Well, here we go then. Um, it's just kind of an overview of what's been going on. Um, certainly in the last month of October, but just kind of a synopsis of um, everything that's been happening since January of 2020. So in the aftermath of the events of January 2020, that was the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn. Mm -hmm. So that marks the economic, political, and social structures of civilization. That's Capricorn. And since that time of 2020, these structures have been collapsing and contributing to the breakdown of the people's capacity to hold to rituals, traditions, and customs of human interaction. When such customs and etiquette are no longer adhered to, human beings resort to instinctual animal-like behavior. Hmm. The primal responses of fight, flight, freeze manifest at the emotional level as rage, terror, and grief. In addition, a psychological response known as fawning also appears. When a threat cannot be resolved via fight-flight-freeze, the victim resorts to submissiveness, agreeing and aligning with the abuser in an attempt to please and appease in order to avoid conflict such as in the Stockholm Syndrome phenomena. Obedience to the COVID restrictions would be another example of this Stockholm Syndrome. Hmm. The, this breakdown of normal human relations, fueled by messages of constant danger coming from every direction, is the basis of trauma-based mind control. And it is fertile ground for the eruption of archetypal contents represented by Eris. Catalyst for chaos and conflict as the goddess of war, strife, and bloodshed, she revels in the mayhem left in her wake. Unpredictability and disruption are also characteristics of Uranus, playing an active role in the charts of major nation-state players in the current battlegrounds of the world. Just as the ego is a structure in the personal psyche that mediates the expression of unconscious contents into conscious life, so the borders and boundaries of nations are established to prevent invasion of forces that would undermine the realm and break down societal norms. The breaking of boundaries began in 2011 with the migrant invasion of Europe increasing through the Uranus-Pluto square culminating in 2015, with massive numbers streaming into European countries. Uranus, bringer of radical, often unexpected change and breakdown of structures in a challenging relationship with Pluto, bringer of death for the purpose of rebirth, formed the backdrop for the Saturn-Pluto conjunction of January 2020. COVID represented another kind of invasion, 
first of an invisible unknown enemy invading the physical bodies of all people on earth, which could only be defeated with a further violation of boundaries by injecting a foreign substance directly into the human body. As of the autumnal equinox of September 23, 2023, asteroid Eris aligned with the north node of the moon in Aries, god of war. At that time, a new COVID variant was named Eris. Is this life-imitating myth? October 7th, 2023, Israel is attacked with Mars and Eris opposing each other on the Israel Ascendant and Venus conjunct the Israel-Mars. The solar eclipse on October the 14th was within three degrees of opposition to Eris. The sun position in the charts of these countries, that's Israel and Palestine, is in exact, almost exact opposition. The Palestine chart has Uranus opposite the sun and Pluto conjunct its moon. The lunar eclipse, time of clearing away the old dead stuff, took place on October 28th, along with an alignment of Mercury and Mars in Scorpio opposite Jupiter in Taurus, contacting both Israel and Palestine charts. This coming Monday, November the 13th, will bring the first new moon in Scorpio after the eclipse moon last month. It's taking place at nearly 21 degrees, again, connecting closely to the sun position of each of these countries, that's Israel and Palestine. Scorpio is all about death, rebirth, and ultimate metamorphosis. Isn't it interesting how the Russia-Ukraine battleground has dropped off the radar as Eris and Uranus set their sights on the Middle East, including Iran and Syria? So you might ask, why does any of this matter? Well, I would say it matters because myth reveals the nature of the forces moving in the unconscious, which when not brought to conscious awareness, manifests in our outer life as fate. (laughs) On a personal level, we are all being called upon to look deeply into our own lives, where undigested trauma and unexpressed terror, rage, and grief get projected into our relationships and onto the outer world battlegrounds, adding fuel to those fires and furthering the divide and conquer strategy so effectively used against us. Eris plays a major role in the myth of Paris, the young Trojan prince whose unwise choice launches the Trojan War. When not invited to the wedding of Thetis, her revenge for the slight is to drop a golden apple into the wedding celebration with a note attached to the fairest, causing a competition between Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite for the title of fairest. Zeus, unwilling to incur the wrath of the goddesses, offloads his responsibility to choose to Paris. Being young and driven by passion and emotion, he chooses Aphrodite, who promises him the most beautiful woman in the world as his wife. Unfortunately, Helen is married to King Minilaus of Sparta. 
So when she elopes with Paris, after Aphrodite sent Eros to shoot them with his arrows, causing them both to fall hopelessly in love, Minilos then rallied his Greek and Spartan troops to attack Troy, and thus began the Trojan War. This myth is associated with the sign of Libra, the scales of balance as its symbol. The teaching of Libra is the recognition that with every choice comes a set of consequences, both positive and negative, that must be carefully considered in any decision we might make. We find ourselves in a time where careful choices and decisions are paramount in every aspect of life if we are to navigate the dangerous waters of the unconscious without being swept away by primal emotions that lead to war both inside and out. Wow. Dang. Um, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> okay. So I... Go ahead, Vince. I know you get, go ahead. Go ahead. The full moon's coming up here on the 13th, as you said, Laura Lee. New it's moon. also the point at which Uranus is at opposition. That's a new moon, actually. New moon. New oh, moon. sorry. Yeah. New, new moon. moon. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. But yeah, Uranus will be at opposition that same That's day. That's right. It will. Yes. That's indeed. something. It sure is. Yeah. So back mm -hmm. in August, Laura Lee. Mm -hmm. You know, after we, we had a few discussions, after we were kind of talking about Eris, I think it was the last time we on the show, I started mm -hmm. putting out there, I said, be warned, something's going to yeah. happen in the world, very major, yeah. between mm -hmm. September 23rd and October 17th. And I picked October mm -hmm. 17th because th that was kind of with the, uh, um, the, the eclipse. Mm -hmm. October 7th, boom, right there, Israel, That's Palestine, right. mm -hmm. Hamas, and... Yeah. We knew it was a massive distraction coming in that pulls all all the attention away, and mm -hmm. you know. And here's the here's the kicker, because you you said this beautifully in here, is that myth reveals the nature of the forces moving in the unconscious when mm -hmm. not brought to conscious awareness manifests in our outer life as fate. That's now, right. the question is: is these people that apparently rule the world or try to rule the world or seeking mm, the world. Yeah. They understand this higher knowledge. They understand it. Oh yeah. They sure very, do. Very well. mm -hmm. So with knowing mm -hmm. that myth reveals the nature of the forces moving in the unconscious when not brought to conscious awareness manifest in our outer life's fate, did they create and allow this event to happen during that point in time? Or did that naturally happen i i believe it's th that that they were the progenitors mm -hmm. of yeah. these types of events because they align with the right. subtle energies yeah. that are influencing the subconscious of man mm -hmm. yeah yeah i would i would agree yeah yeah that there are those who who have this knowledge and so if they were uh hell-bent on creating conflict and war and everything we see going on of course they would <laughs> zoom in on this information because it it's you know it's it tells us what archetypal energies what what kinds of potentials are available mm -hmm. at whatever times of certain astrological alignments 
So it behooves us, that is we, the people who are not the ruling elite, to get up to speed with understanding this uh, realm of the unconscious and the realm within which myth and dreams are the guiding force. Hmm. Interesting. Now, with the 13th coming up, with uh, Uranus in um, Taurus, in Taurus, in conjunction with the new moon, it's um, opposite. 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 So opposite. what will what that just to give you a picture. So the sun when on a new moon, the sun and the moon are together mm-hmm. in the same degree. Yep. In this case, it's twenty uh, twenty degrees um, plus um, Scorpio, almost twenty one twenty degrees forty four minutes. Uranus is at or will be on that day at twenty one degrees five minutes of Taurus. That is a very, very tight opposition. And we're dealing with the forces of Scorpio, which are Scorpio's ruled by Pluto. Pluto's the god of the underworld. And there we have all the forces of death, rebirth, transformation, metamorphosis, and Uranus in Taurus. So Taurus rules everything that is of the earth. Mm. So earthquakes, for example, would be a typical interpretation of Uranus in Taurus. Now, that doesn't mean there's going to be earthquakes happening nonstop through Uranus' uh, journey through Taurus, but it certainly does create um, a tension because Uranus is an energy um, of change and disruption and shaking things up. It's it's all about breakdown for the purpose of breakthrough. Mm. And the ultimate purpose of Uranus is to liberate. And with that force, liberation happens whether we like it or not. So it, this is a, you know, a force of nature, right? Yeah. And so having some understanding of how these forces of nature operate within the psyche helps us to understand what we see manifesting in the actual material world. And Taurus would, would be the material world. It's a fixed earth sign. So... What type of events? I mean, so we could potentially be seeing a Black Monday, then on the thirteenth, we could see a very oh. bad. If they, if they know this, mm-hmm. right, and they understand these these energy fields, mm-hmm. then would they want to uh, capitalize on that and, and mm-hmm. perform some type of activity? I mean, we have the escalation of force that's occurring in the Middle East. You have yeah. er- Erdogan uh, from Turkey, who mm-hmm. is a NATO nation, the second largest military and Navy in NATO, who's who said, who is ramping up his people all this last week mm-hmm. and said that, hey, look, we're going to go into Gaza and we're going to stop this if you guys don't do a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And, and Netanyahu doesn't give a crap. They're just going to keep on pouncing. The United States is in a very awkward position then because you have a NATO member ally and another ally potentially could have conflict between them. 
Um, yeah. The United States has two carrier uh, uh, strike groups in the area. They're bombing Syria and Iran. Yeah. Um, we could see this escalate to a major conflict and who knows what Israel could do. I mean, they're very, very unpredictable. They're like mm. that wounded. They're like yeah. that wounded child who doesn't mm. have control of their emotions. Who's going right. to lash out. And yep. at least that's what I feel. And mm -hmm. that, you know, they're going to do something that potentially history will regret. Uh huh. You know, well, also I'll just throw in a minute here. Vince. Um, sorry. Um, also on the 13th, the day of the new moon in Scorpio, Mars will be exactly involved within one degree in Scorpio. So we have Mar the sun, the moon, and Mars lined up together within one degree in Scorpio, opposing Uranus in Taurus, almost oh, exact. So it, it's an extremely volatile dynamic. Yes. And based on what we've seen building up and, and the activity of this deity, this archetypal mm -hmm. energy in the form of Eris, um, still on the scene, uh, because the transiting nodes move very slowly, and so does Eris move very slowly. So Eris is still involved. And she's going to be very closely involved in, let's call it earthly activities or erupting into the human psyche, um, into the new year. And then the aspect begins to um, fade. In other words, it starts to move away. So it's not, the energy is not so intense. But as Josh, we started talking about this in, you know, September, October or wherever Eris started to move into that alignment with that North Node. Um, this, this has been building up and building up and building up, you know, through the eclipses. And anytime we've got um, a strong concentration in Scorpio, because Scorpio is the realm of the underworld. Mm -hmm. So this is potentially an eruption of the contents of the underworld, the underworld being the unprocessed, undigested, unconscious complexes that motivate behavior in ways that we don't understand, both personally and collectively. So, so this you know, shaking things up with Uranus it is there for the purpose of breaking. It's it's another manifestation, really, of boil lance. Yeah. So we had the, you know, the big boil lancing in January of 2020. And then since then, there's been these little uh, contributing factors that have been uh, a part of the continual, what I would call the cleanup. So, so the boil gets lanced, but it doesn't just instantly heal after that. So the boil is lanced, and then you're left with this cleanup operation <laughs> that takes a long time. And in this case, I think years. And so we're having these, these eruptions um, of contents 
that are going to continue to come up in order to be cleared away, in order to be cleaned away. Just like if you had a big old boil and you had that thing lanced, it's not going to be better the next day. It's going to take a long time and you got to keep cleaning it and you got to keep making sure that it doesn't get reinfected and start up again. And so this is really what we're dealing with, at, I think, yeah. at, at the unconscious level, at the archetypal level. <clears throat> I agree with that timeline. And going back to what Josh was saying about sort of, you know, is it kind of destiny i guess if i could rephrase kind of your statement is it destiny that we have all these effects from these phenomenon uh and and did you guys know that uranus among being things like like laura lisa uh or been attributed to things like unexpected events and kind of change and revolution these types of ideas mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's actually known as the awakener that's right and mm -hmm. this dude wrote a book Uranus mm -hmm. the Awakener by Gordon yep. Umeeb. Oh, and okay. He connects it to mythology and ancient Greece and all kinds mm -hmm. of things. Prometheus. And does that exactly, Laura Lee? Exactly. Yep. And mm -hmm. is, if that doesn't fit the times, I don't know what does. But Destiny, mm -hmm. either yeah. way, it's going to be bad. It's going to be good. Is it avoidable? Can it be swayed? Destiny, that's a huge conversation in itself. That could be a whole show. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited for what's to come to say the least well the promethean spirit which mm -hmm. uranus represents is that force in the human psyche that rises up when the life force itself is under threat mm. so uranus is is yeah it's that force it's that like primal it is force. deeply primal that's right and and it it will rise up if the life force itself is under threat which it clearly is and and so this archetypal potential breaks through into consciousness but it you know the myth of prometheus is also very telling here because it is prometheus who steals the sacred fire from zeus to bring it to humanity because he has compassion for the humans who are suffering without heat or light. He, he asked Zeus nicely, hey, how about we give the humans some fire? They're having a hard time down there. But Zeus, in fear that if the humans had fire, they would become more powerful than the gods, refused. So Prometheus stole the, the sacred fire which is actually the light and brought it to humanity but when zeus discovered the theft prometheus was severely punished so he was chained up to a rock on a far-off mountain peak and zeus would send his eagle every day to chew out prometheus liver and during the night the liver would grow back and the next day the eagle would come again and chew it out and this was to be his fate for eternity until another god came onto the scene and this was chiron chiron was the centaur god and the wounded healer hmm. so all of these stories are being powerfully activated now 
and and you see if we have a sense if we if we know about mythology and we have a sense that these stories and myths are are teaching us something about how to manage these energies within ourselves so that we're not projecting it out into the outer world and then having to meet it it's through fate hmm. you know just a, a couple other things about the actual the actual planet uranus that's really interesting okay. that uranus um it's uh equator is almost perpendicular to the ecliptic so so it literally like rolls around the the uh the sun and it rotates backwards from all the other planets except Venus, which is also pretty interesting. <clears throat> all right. That's I got to get my input here. Okay. Because, I, you know, one thing I think humans don't do is they don't listen. Yeah. They hear, but they don't listen. Right. And listening is a, a kind of... A, a taking in of the information, kind of analyzing. I, I call it hypercritical analysis with logical and rational, um, you know, kind of complications in there, right? You're trying to rationalize everything someone's saying, but you're you're putting it through your filters and all that stuff. And and I love what you said there because everything you said is absolutely correct. But this is the vision that I get in my head every time that you say this mm. is that really what we're seeing manifest right now in the world is that there's a collective consciousness within humanity. And this collective consciousness is where the archetypes are. This is where everything exists for humanity. And that we have neglected ourselves for so long, our, 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 our emotional intelligence and evolution, our spiritual evolution, and we are growing as a society, but also we're evolving as a species. And our consciousness is coming to those points of expansion. And the collective consciousness is saying, hey, guys, you, you need to get your asses ready because, look, you're, you're, you're growing, you're evolving, and you need to get ready for things. So what I have to do is, as a collective conscious is I have to create the imbalance. I have to manifest, and I hate to say it like this, I have to manifest the evil in the world. Right, the soulless beings that go out there and want to depopulate and do all these things to wake you guys up. And not only that, is that you have this aspect of the great awakening that what we're watching and witnessing in the world unfolding the collapse of the economic structures, the destabilization of the political structures, the breakdown of the social and the cultural aspects of society, the warfare that's being waged mm -hmm. is the coming forth of the culmination of everything that exists with inside of us, the oh, deep, yeah. the deep emotional trauma that we've kept within ourselves, that we've suppressed throughout the years, that right. the, the anger and the violence that we've held mm -hmm. back and that yep. that is all coming to the surface, culminating on a large scale, but also it's happening on an individual level. That's this is right. One thing that I want to point out to everybody that what is happening outside is also happening within it's happening it sure at an is. individual level as well as this global level mm -hmm. oh man i love that perspective of basically the collective consciousness being its own entity in itself and then having all these other collective 
parts to it, kind of averaging out to one circumstance. It's very, very interesting. I love that. Well, it yeah, brings collective away for fate and stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, the collective contains the personal. Mm. Right. Wow. But I, I look at it as an interacting force. Is that? Oh, it, it, yeah, absolutely. And it has to be that way. That's what yeah. becoming conscious really means is that we get to a place and it's evolutionary. I mean, it, there is not, there's never been a time in human history where individual human beings have even had the slightest opportunity to understand these deep things. Yeah. I mean, there's never been a time like this. This yeah. is the great battle of our time. Mm. Because there's never been a time in human history where, well, we, we didn't have global communications networks where we could talk to people, you know, like this. Um, and, you know, we, you and you, Josh and Vince and I would probably never meet in the so-called real world, right? But this, this um, both gift and curse that is the you know, the um, global communications network, it, it, we needed this mm -hmm. in order to get to a place, the place where we are now, to be able to, to organize globally, sure. to challenge the, you know, the global, you know, rulers. Right. And, and I, just, I just find it so interesting because we brought it upon ourselves, but we, we didn't. And, and it's almost like, so I, I, I've explained optimization theory about how things go through things of coalescence, two energies mixed, they come to a point of stabilization and then they destabilize. And that is the chaos because the system is moving to a new point of optimization. And mm -hmm. it's also like, it's, it's exactly what's happening right here, right now in our world. Mm -hmm. And that we have a set of people who want to control that chaos. They want to mm -hmm. be able to structure that chaos by, by perpetuating it, but also creating the solutions ahead of time for when the chaos mm -hmm. does ensue that the infrastructure is already in place to hit the ground running with what they want to do. And it's just another mechanism of control. And yep. unfortunately for them, <clears throat> That's not how it works. And, and that's kind of the beauty of it because we're seeing right now is a, a, an awakening within the mm -hmm. hearts and the minds and the souls of the people, a rekindling of Prometheus's fire deep within yeah. inside the, the being and the essence of humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And these, these um, one ring to rule them all folks cannot prevail because the one ring to rule them all idea e equals death mm. because it's it's a concretization of control and as soon as that concretization starts to happen there's no life in it mm. You know, one ring to rule everything it yeah. is simply domination and uh, and control. Yeah, and and that it's 
against life. That's why yeah. it's evil and anti life. And it's unbalanced. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. And that brings in the whole, all the business of the, what I said at the end of that little piece Libra, the scales of balance. So we, all of us, every living human, and uh, all other living things, actually, it, it's all about holding the tension of the opposites. So, so we have to, day by day, minute by minute, right, be balancing within ourselves the tension of the opposites. You know, one part of you that wants to do one thing, another part that wants to do the opposite thing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we're constantly in the business of finding the fulcrum the fulcrum of those scales of balance but it's the fulcrum is a moving target it's not like you kind of get to the balance point and everything's perfect forever no it's like an infinite no. scenario yes yeah and it, it's this constant tending to the tension of the opposites and i mean in in our personal experience that's you know inner versus outer body and psyche you know spirit and matter masculine and feminine we're we're having to do this dance mm -hmm. moment to moment of balancing these opposites and having that awareness that this is indeed our task as little you know featherless bipeds wandering around this is the job that has been assigned to us so i, I wanted to yeah. bring this up because this is something i did in a video a long time ago what you got and uh, this is uh one of the interpretations of nostradamus's um, oh, yeah. lost prophecy and you get this brilliant picture right here. And I love it because you got the Libra yep. scales right here. Mm -hmm. Okay. You got the blindfolded Apollo. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you got the, the female who's take, trying to take the bow away. You have the moon. And if I'm remembering this correctly, this was, um, this was a Saturn jupiter conjunction that we saw back oh. in 2021 yeah because, because we had it happen in capricorn yeah right on the winter solstice right on the winter solstice right amazing and, and then what you have is jupiter and saturn so this is hera who ah. is the daughter of um the wife of zeus wife queen of, Z of heaven and earth right and and then that's zeus is jupiter and then um what is it? She killed Apollo's mother. Mm. And so you get the blind vengeance yeah. coming after yeah. her. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Right. And so th that was kind of how that was interpreted, but that this, and if you notice they have the ribbons all over the place. Yeah. What's with the ribbons. So if you go through the various different pictures that come about in, uh, I'll bring this other one up. Uh, the lost book in Oshitamas. It's just not easy, easy to see them. But if you go through these, like, there's a whole bunch of them, right? Mm -hmm. And right here. Yeah, they're here, very alchemical. Right. Now, right here, yeah. you start with the ribbons and balance. And this is the sun right. rising in Leo. And yep. then you have the 
the three pointed uh, three pointed star as well as this star. Now mm-hmm. I took this as the dog days of summer in August of two thousand. 21 because mm-hmm. the sun rose directly in leo with cirrus uh, i think it was not cirrus but one of the uh, yeah it was uh, oh cirrus rising that's dog days of summer mm-hmm. okay and this would have been i i look at this as harmonious balance the way the ribbon ribbon waves right mm-hmm. but then we see the ribbon tapering off to the left side oh. uh, but much shorter not only that is the wheel changes colors and darkens oh, yeah. I look at that as the changing of the seasons. You have the king, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the hair represents wisdom. And he's opening the book with Mm -hmm. the tree. The tree is what? The book of of life. The tree of life. The book of the tree of life. And that this is unbalancing the ribbons. And then you have Mm -hmm. obviously Pisces right there. And then you have Hera with the bow. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I look at this as a transition of the age, right? Mm Hmm. And so I actually, what I think we actually got with this was this was Aquarius and that this was Pisces. And this was the gap of the transition mm. of the age into Aquarius. Mm. Okay. And that with the transition of the age from Pisces into Aquarius is the book of life would be reopened. And the king would be reborn or the Ooh. knowledge would come back to the king and restore the balance in the heavens. Right. Wow. Uh, and then there would be a big battle it waged over the book of life. Right. Uh-huh. You have the the club that beats the tree. You have the sword that represents the ribbon coming into balance. And then below that you have uh, the sheep and a Scorpio over gold. Uh, I forgot what my interpretation was. The Ram, the Ram and the Scorpion. Yeah. Ram Mm. and Scorpio. And what it's really doing to me when I look at this is it's telling an astrological story of how Mm -hmm. time will unfold and the things that will come Mm -hmm. to be. Then you get this one, which is a great conjunction that Mm -hmm. happened. And then you get Scorpio. And I found it interesting mm-hmm. that you're just talking about Scorpio. And isn't it interesting that we have the three moons right there? Well, that and... looks like a crab. I don't think that's a scorpion. Is it? Oh, sorry. No, 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 no you're right. That, that is crab. Or lobster. Answer. Lobster. I think we had a scorpion crab? somewhere right here. Looks like crab a or a lobster. Yeah. But you have the three moons. You have the black sun uh-huh. or the black black wheel. The uh-huh. crab entering, maybe that's the crab nebula. nebula? I don't know. Oh. Uh, mm. Right? Because it kind of looks like a nebula yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I forgot my interpretation of this. I'd have to go back to my notes. But, you know, it, it comes about where, like, everything becomes restored. And and um, the steer here represents rebirth. You have, mm. uh, obviously, the ribbon is reversed. Now it's alternating the, the mm. next direction. Mm-hmm. The wheel is reset. And so we know that the universe goes in cycles. The galaxy goes in cycles. The sun goes in cycles. And so this is the representation that the chaos was representative of basically the shifting and transition of the cycle. You get Mm. that with the transition from Pisces into um, uh, Aquarius. Aquarius. Mm -hmm. And then the book is... Or open. actually, yeah, the precession, it goes backwards. So, yeah, Pisces. Right. And then this is Aquarius. Uh Because if you go back to the bow handler... Right there, uh huh. Fish moving in the tree, uh, then you have the king right there with the tree of mm-hmm. life, and then you come in here. That after everything resets, the book of life is reopened mm. again to be wow, kind of recreated. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I, it's yeah, I mean, the, these are fascinating images. Oh yeah. uh, they're just, uh, very alchemical too. A lot of alchemy in there, so you could you could read them just purely from through alchemical symbolism as well. 
Yeah, and there's there's and a this whole comes bunch from of Nostradamus. Is this That's right. So this was wow, um, where did you get all those? So do you know um, Ellie on Crystal Links? Mm-mm. So she um, she was. You I don't sent know. those pictures to me. You did send them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I don't even know she's before. still alive. Um, oh, wow. But there's a website out there, crystallinks.com. This is the mm-hmm. Lost Book of Nostradamus. There's Ellie. Oh, wow. Um, and she was used to be really big in the 1990s in the History Channel. Um, she guest appeared on the History Channel presentation of the Lost Book of Nostradamus, discussing the collection of 80 watercolor images compiled by uh, as an illustrated codex. Um, mm. The version is well-known, the Vitintia de Sumis Pontificus, 13th, 14th century, discovered in 1994 by Italian journalist Enza Massa. Um, known as the Lost Book of Nostradamus. Wow. And so they go into these, they're, they're actually steel plates. Wow. And Amazing. A, yeah, these are watercolors of the plates. Holy cow. I'll send you the link. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. send me the link too, please. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, really fascinating. But her website back. is her website is fantastic. I, I just I've been going there since the nineties. It was like one of the first websites I've ever went to. Wow, really? Yeah. Thank you. It, it's it's packed full of tons of information. Well, I think what we're gonna have to do is bust out your notes, maybe go back in the archives, get that old episode where we originally talked about it and do another deep dive from some different interpretation angles. Oh, we could because I because mean, it was interesting because a lot of those were correlated mm-hmm. with um, um, what were they? Um, Not sure. Crop circles. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, crop circles. That's right. Right. A lot of those things on that plate were being correlated directly with various different crop circles that are happening. Oh wow. And that's one thing that people don't, you know. And you gotta wonder what are those actually? Yeah. And, you know, are they still happening? So oh, yeah, they, they happen all the time. You know, and I was talking to You just to a, never hear about them anymore. Yeah. Well, and I don't think people want us to, but, you know, I was talking yeah. to a friend the other day. And I kind of, we were discussing kind of 19th century occultism, um, the the Golden Dawn. We're talking about Aleister Crawley, because I have a theory about Aleister Crawley that I'm going to prove mm-hmm. in my lifetime. And that, that Aleister Crawley was not an evil man. Mm-hmm. Even though he was known as the beast, the most wickedest mm-hmm. man alive, that that was all a a magician's trick, hmm. and that hidden within his his stories is the um, the truth, is that he was talking about spiritual revelation. He's the beast of spiritual revolution revelation, which means that he is the one that instigates spiritual rebirth, um, mm-hmm. and, and you can see this in the. If you read his biographies, he he says that his mom was very, very Christian and she called him the beast from Mm. Revelations. But that Mm. was his story. His mom never was interviewed for that. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Right. And so he goes on and tells a story of how he he killed and maimed a cat when he was 14 years old. That he wanted to Mm. do the scientific process to test if the cat had nine lives. Mm -hmm. But each one of the nine steps is an alchemical process for spiritual purification. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you're like, wait a minute. And then he talks about all these other things that are horrific, you know, sacrifice and all these things. But mm-hmm. if you read into it and you know how to decode what he's saying, it unlocks the mysteries of what he was really talking about. Mm. And so I, I've been kind of 
researching that and we were talking about it and and this falls into the archetypical discussion. It talks, it falls into the collective conscious discussion, because if we think about the universe as a, a conscious thing, a conscious entity, mm-hmm. that God is consciousness is the yeah. field of consciousness that exists. Mm-hmm. Then what is the language of God? Uh, symbols. Well, symbols, but we, we can myth. I, I would say light because light is the physical manifestation of vibration and everything mm-hmm. from symbols and language and words and electricity and interaction mm-hmm. and energy. All of that is simply vibration. Mm-hmm. All of that is simply very, very minute perspectives of light. And the light that we're talking about here is conscious interaction, conscious relationship created with anything and everything produces oscillation. It produces mm-hmm. ripples in vibration. And so that becomes the communication mechanism. And so I was thinking about this and I was like thinking about the golden dawn and how if you ever got, if anybody out there ever gets into like occult magic, Enochian magic or um, uh, the, the, the keys of Solomon or whatever, you're always calling upon archangels. You're calling upon mm-hmm. angels that come for levels of protection. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people who dealt in these realms talk about how the angels will talk to them and communicate with and I'm sitting there going, what if it's much more simpler than that? What if what's really actually happening is that what magic was talking about, what the old alchemists were talking about, what, what the, the magical revolution in the late 19th and 20th century was actually talking about that was really hiding from mankind was the language of the universe, of how mm-hmm. to communicate in that language of the universe, mm-hmm. of, of that these angels that they were communicating with was really the conversation that was occurring with the collective consciousness or the, the expansive consciousness of God. Mm-hmm. I well, I it's think of light as, as an information field. So that light is an inf- and that light um connects to the physical realm and to our bodies through water because water is the receiver of light and and the it's it's sound it's earth, sound actually sound came before light in the mm. creation of the universe so the you know, according to the Big Bang theory, which I don't think the Big Bang actually happened. I think it was an electromagnetic effect. But nevertheless, for the sake of conversation, something happened that people call the Big Bang. Okay, well, for some somewhere around 300,000 years or so after that event, there there was no light. There was sound, and that's recorded... Um, in the form of the microwave background radiation that um, Mickelson, who was it? Mickelson and Morley. uh, Mickelson and Morley. Well, they were trying to prove the ether, but you're talking about the cosmic microwave background radiation. Yes, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Right, yeah. So so their sound came before light. So hence, you know, the, um, uh, what is it in... um, Genesis. Mm-hmm. 
the the word the word hmm. came before everything right so that's sound sound comes <laughs> before light and it's a vibrational field a wave field but waves are not these two-dimensional you know sort of up and down things a wave is a vortex that it, so if you if you could Makes look sense. at a wave a th as a three-dimensional object it's a vortex it's mm -hmm. not this sort of up and down two-dimensional thing that just goes up and down and up and down it, it's vortex yeah it goes in every direction aha uh -huh, right so we're dealing with the Taurus, the configuration of the Taurus, T-O-R-U-S. That's right. And then we can look at that through various different cymatic patterns. That yeah. Sound itself travels in what's called a, uh, it's a compression wave, but it's a longitudinal wave. Yeah. Uh, the thing about a longitudinal wave, take a slinky, slinky, elongate it, and then just flick one end and the wave travels yep. um, uh, horizontally, uh -huh. right? In, instead of kind of traversely how normal electromagnetic waves actually traverse. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, is that it's not only traveling in that direction, is that, and I love this too, because I, I talk about this, I used to talk about this a lot on Fringe, is that when we communicate with each other, excuse me, firstly, there's an energetic connection, you know, the six feet of the heart's magnetic field mm -hmm. is expanded out and that's communicating. You know, that's sharing information with mm -hmm. another person that you're interacting with. And I believe that that is also quantumly entangled. So it happens right now, right here. Mm -hmm. But one of the most profound ways that we communicate is with voice. Mm -hmm. And there's something out there known as neuro-linguistic programming. Oh, yeah. And I took quite a few courses on it. And one of the things that I learned about neuro-linguistic programming is, number one, what was really happening here was that thoughts ideas, emotions, and what we consider to be intention. Intention is kind of a, a, a future response or reward or consequence derived from that thought, that emotion, and those things in the present time that is brought about through action, but the action hasn't happened yet. So when you combine those things in your imagination, you can attach them to your words. And so just like a radio wave goes out there to transmit an FM or an AM station, a wave travels and has a carrier wave inside of it that's carrying the actual data of the radio station. Mm -hmm. Our sound waves are coming out structured with emotion and intention and thoughts and ideas. And so when they go by and they compress that symbol, that structure, that cymatic pattern is being translated to that other person, correlated to that other person. And it, it was very, very profound when I realized that that's really what was happening with neuro-linguistic programming. And that mm. to make someone more susceptible to that, you control the tone of your voice. You control yeah. the pattern, the rhythm of how you speak to somebody. You partition your words off. You can do a 3-3 three, three, or you can do a four, 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 right? You can do these variations of rhythmic patterns of timing sequences. You can change and increase and lower your tone. And yeah. all of this correlates to various different frequencies and cymatic patterns that you're translating to people on an emotional and an intentional level. 
And I, I, I'll tell you, I, I become a master communicator because of it. Mm-hmm. But it's that's just fascinating. Profound. Yeah, that's really <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. An example. Yeah, that's, oh, go ahead, Laura Lee. Tie, tying in the these the cymatics. Yeah. I, I mean, wow, getting into language is you know what uh, it, Yeah, go I'm ahead, sorry. Vince. You know what it reminds me of is the phrase, bless your heart. Yeah. The intention is not <laughs> the face value of that phrase, you know what I mean? Huh. Right? Bless your heart. It's a uh, perfect we, example in my head of what you're describing there with the NLP. Yeah, well, I got to get Base Forge back on. He's got some great content on TikTok. He's been All talking right. about cymatics for a while yeah. now. Um, wow. Yeah, it, we did a show with him a, a few weeks ago, and it was pretty amazing. Um, so this is also another thing, because I want to introduce this aspect of it, too, and I want to get uh, Laura Lee's perspective on it. I'm going to play another video. Th- this is a pretty cool video, because we are just talking about Genesis. So check this out. said, did you know that the consonants used in the spelling of the sacred name, Yahweh, are in fact the only consonants that if correctly pronounced, do not allow you to use your tongue or close your lips. In fact, we know that the pronouncing of the sacred name was an attempt to imitate and replicate breath. That it was inhalation and exhalation. And then he began to do it into the microphone. And in a few minutes, tears started being audible in the room in a room of PhDs. And it means, wonder of wonders, that the first word you ever spoke when you came out of your mother's womb was the name of God. And the last word you'll ever speak, you don't have to try to remember, do I want to say a prayer before I die? You're going to anyway. (laughs) That last breath you take on your deathbed will be the name of God. And it's the one thing you've done constantly. You just did it now. And you did it again. You're breathing. Wow. Wow. Isn't that (laughs) That powerful? Great. That is so good. And it brings a whole new context to it. Yeah. I mean, Yahweh. Uh-huh. Jeez, how simple is that? <laughs> Why didn't first, somebody tell us this before? The first name that you ever uttered and the last thing you'll ever say. That's beautiful. But then what is what is the breath, right? The breath mm-hmm. is the ambience, the subtle energy field that's all around you. It is the mm-hmm. the vibration of nature of the world around you that you are bringing into yourself. And you know, you go by that old axiom that you you are what you eat or you are what you consume. And mm-hmm. if you're out in the middle of the woods in nature and you're you're taking in that fresh natural air that's full of vibrance and life and you're bringing yeah. it into your system that is structuring mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of the 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 things within your body. I you know one of the most profound um 
things I learned in physics. Uh, and this was actually, it was an Australian professor who did a video on this on YouTube when I was in school studying physics. And, and he was talking about a, a, an experiment he did with his high school physics students. And he said, let's all go out there and we're going to plant a tree. We're going to put it in a pot and we're going to put the soil in the pot and we're going to plant the tree. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to measure the soil as the tree grows. And the tree began to grow and the tree got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But the soil never went down. And he says, this doesn't make sense, does it? Where is the mass of the tree coming from if it's not coming from the soil? Mm. We believe that the tree is pulling all the nutrients and everything mm. that survive, mm. thrive, and grow from the soil, but it's not. Come to mm. find out that the tree is breathing carbon dioxide and giving mm. off mm. oxygen, which releases a carbon molecule. Right. That carbon from the air is the food for the tree to grow. Right. And as above, so below, that oxygen that we breathe in is that fuel for us to grow, to thrive, to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that metaphor and I love that mm-hmm. perspective because, yeah. you know, we, we become what we inhale, if you want to look at it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Some people out there like, man, I'm going to be some really good marijuana tonight. No, I <laughs> maybe. Huh? Hey, it reminds me of when you're exercising and uh, you're actually exhaling, exhaling fat. You're not sweating it out. You're not like metabolizing it or whatever. Most of it's ex- exhaled. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a, a balance of the tension of the opposites. Inhale, exhale, inhale, mm-hmm. exhale. You have to remain balanced in your breathing or you die. You cannot just inhale all the time, nor can you exhale all the mm-hmm. time. So so there, there is kind of that original, we're born into the experience of the attention of the opposite simply by having to breathe in and out. And how meditation practice is always about focusing on the breath. You breathe in, you breathe out. You breathe in, you breathe out. And how it, you know, relaxes the nervous system and uh, all the rest of it. It's it's just like that is so great that Yahweh thing. That is really cool. Oh, it, it, it's it's so fascinating because, you know, the more and more in depth that I get into with philosophical and spiritual literature, mm-hmm. you start to see the the apparent truth is that it's not something complex or structured that you have to figure out or redesign or begin to understand, but it's instead the forgetting of everything, you know, to get back to that natural state of who you really are. Mm. It's the shedding off of everything in, in, in a lot of spiritual practices. They talk about be like a child. Be like a child, yeah. be like a child, be ignorant, like a child who knows not of the world. And it, it's so profound when you think about it like that, because these states of Samadhi, these states of enlightenment that, that they're, they're getting to and they're obtaining, there is rigorous practice that they go through to do that. But the mental state that they're entering is that it's one that has shedded 
the the external influences from their reality, their filter system, their belief system. You have to let it all go. You have to be in that state of not think. You just have to be in that state of exist. And breath is one of the primary mechanisms to do that. The, the Zen Buddhists, they, they have this practice where you focus simply on the inhalate, the breath in and the breath out, the breath in and the breath out. And your objective is to become the breath, to become the inhalation, to become the inhalation, uh, exhalation. And that there's a, uh, with your mind, what you do is I call it looping. But so you bring the breath in and you loop it down. And so you imagine it going kind of through your solar plexus and you loop it around your stomach and you bring it back up. So you form a figure eight with your breath. Mm -hmm. And what you want to do is you want to become the breath. You want to become the flow. And they tell you that you want that flow. You want to feel that breath be the energy actually flowing in your body. And through, and I, I guess I can tell you, when you do this, you obtain states of consciousness that you never thought you could obtain. You obtain clarity beyond anything. Um, holotropic breathing, which is really rapid, fast breathing, kind of like the Wim Hof stuff, but they, they do it in figure eight patterns as well. But there's this something about this figure eight pattern with inhalation. So you bring the breath in and you imagine that breath going down, wrapping around your lower base chakra, coming back up your spine through your lungs and coming back out. And as you do that, your mind is picturing just this pattern going back and forth, back and forth, but you become the flow. And so your awareness in your body transitions away from your mind in that meditation and becomes the flow going down and then coming back up, going down and coming back up. And your consciousness massively expands. You, you go to heightened states of awareness. You, you, you begin to, you, you can astral travel from these points. You can go out of your body. You can, you, you can have profound visions. You can obtain samadhi. You can do all different types of things from this. And for a lot of people, it takes a very, very long time to get to that point because they have to get through the minutia. They have to come to the point of realization that it's not about learning something new or doing something new or becoming structured on a new process, process but instead it's surrendering and letting go to the most simplest and the most profound thing that you do every moment, every day of your life that you're alive. And that's simply mm -hmm. just breathe. Mm -hmm. And that that's what it means to be fully present, to be present in your body, in the moment, aware of everything that's going on, but being perfectly centered in that balance of the in in breath and the out breath mm -hmm. man and i'll tell you like i just i, I love these types of conversations anything uh -huh. in the sense of mind and consciousness because you know it's the great mystery it, it is the great mystery and that's the thing is there's two there, it, it, it's there's two dichotomies of this right there's like there's god and then there's not a god and this is the two great thoughts but Anytime that you get in, enter into this conversation with somebody who potentially is an atheist or who is a monotheist or a polytheist or whatever they might be, is it all comes back that the moment you die, the moment your life ends, number one, 
you're not going to remember any pain. So don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Number two is that you were either right or you were wrong. If you were wrong and there is nothing that it's all over and that's it, it's lights out. It's a cold, dark sleep. It doesn't matter because you won't remember, (laughs) right? It it doesn't matter because you'll never remember it. But if you are right or wrong, as if, if there was something else after, then it doesn't matter because you will remember and you'll be under and you'll be accepted and you'll, you'll understand as long as you obviously don't judge yourself. But my perspective on this is that none of that matters. The only thing that matters is the right here. The right now is that you exist. Mm-hmm. And, and the mere fact that we exist. And, and I, this is something I used to do when I lived in Colorado, because the skies were much clearer out there is I would go outside and I'd peer off into the most distant stars that I could see. And I would try to focus my eyes so I could bring in more stars and more stars. We've got some pretty clear nights out there. And I imagined my mind just taking off into the stars and everything just being expansive. And I would try to go back to the beginning of it all. And you'd get into this mental loop that you can't. That, that it's it's infinite and you try to envision the infinite by looking up into the stars and, and you come to the realization is that that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is here and now mm-hmm. and, and the mind and consciousness and the fact that we exist. And that is the biggest uh, epiphany I think that I've ever had in my life is just the realization that you exist in all the various different probabilities of life that could happen of all the different configurations of the universe that could Mm -hmm. ever expand and evolve and all the sequences of time and space. And the fact that we exist is simply profound. Yeah. And that each individual is unique. Mm. There is never, ever going to be another you in in the universe ever so that places a considerable importance and i think responsibility on each individual human that we must rise to our greatness because we are the only one that is the representation of the particular configuration of energy that's represented in the horoscope the birth chart that will ever exist. That's right. Wow. And, and to give an example of that for everybody out there, at the moment that you were conceived or the moment you were born, if you, whatever way you want to look at it, is that there was a configuration of planets and the stars and that our solar system was in a certain place in an expanding universe and a galaxy mm-hmm. was in a certain place and there's a configuration of galaxies around our galaxies. And the key to understand is that those Sequences of positions will never, ever, ever happen again, which means that if all of those things were in that position at that moment of your birth, nothing else could have ever have taken place at that moment in position and time and space ever again and ever did. Only Mm -hmm. you, your birth, your creation is completely unique unto itself. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is profound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's those subtle things that you want to remember when people are losing hope on life or think that mm-hmm. life is insignificant and like it's so abundant, it's there's nothing special about it, but there mm-hmm. is. And the mere fact that that it, and I'm not a solipsist, right? I'm I'm not gonna fall down in the sol- solipsism here, but you know, you exist within your own mind. You know, mm-hmm. naturally, the only thing that you can prove that actually does exist is yourself, right? And you know that's a that's one of those states that when you come to that realization of it for people out there who like to think is a uh, a pretty spectacular thing, especially in the uh, the mental realms when you know you're starting to. Th- I, that's why I, I come to the perspective that what God is is God. I call God the absolute truth. Is God is the absolute. There is nothing outside of the absolute. Is totality of everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is the, the conscious nature it is the collective nature. It is totality. There's nothing outside of totality. Mm-hmm. But then if that's the absolute truth, we cannot know and understand the absolute truth because we are a part of the whole. So therefore, we can only have an interpretation of what we individually believe to be the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. And that is called self-evident truth. And so the only truth that we could ever know is our own self-evident truth. Even, col- mm-hmm. even like, you know, uh, epidemiological truth, you know, the, 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 the truth of the collective, it, it's irrelevant because here's the thing is nine times out of 10, 99.99% of the time, the people don't agree. Everybody has their own interpretation, their own understanding. It's all self-evident. This is why the founding fathers in the United States, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Mm-hmm. Not collectively evident, self-evident, mm-hmm. is that it was one commonality that we had in common is that we all understood and believed in these things. Doesn't man, mean that we define them the same way or interpreted them the same way, but we believed in them as concepts within the collective society. And I don't know. I, I just uh, my perspective on God and mind and consciousness is a lot different than a lot of other people's, and. People like to argue with me about it, but here's the thing is that's it. it, That's my interpretation. If if we all think we have a level of understanding of what God is, um, then we're all where we need to be. An atheist is exactly where they need to be on their understanding of God. Yeah. Uh, And the, and yeah, like each one of us, because we represent a particular unique spark in the cosmos well then the you are god i mean we are little gods in other words god becomes conscious through us through god sees through our eyes mm-hmm. and speaks through our voice so we we are the unique expressions of this divine totality William Atkinson, a uh, uh, early 20th century author, prolific author, wrote like 93 books. Um, he wow. he had a, a a way of explaining this, and he used Shakespeare. I, I use uh, you know Samuel Clemens or Mark Twain. Um, is that Mark Twain wrote the book Huck Finn, which the main character was Huck Finn, and the question is, is that 
Mark Twain wrote the character of Huck Finn. Is Huck Finn Mark Twain? No. But are there parts of Mark Twain within Huck Finn? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the saying, the axiom is, is that God is within me, but yet I am not he. Right. And that we have been created and we are a part of this grand story that's being told. We are, we have attributes of God within us, the, the image of God within us, but yet we are not he. We are not totality or absolute. We are simply the self-evident uh, understanding of ourselves. The the fractal, you know, yeah. the, the the one part of the one iteration of the fractal coming uh -huh. to realization. Mm -hmm. mm. What an amazing life. What an amazing world, huh? Yep. It's amazing, no all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is the endless mystery of you know that we can will continue to explore mm -hmm. and and to have and to have a a spirit of exploration and a willingness to explore that terrain uh, of the mystery and Absolutely. sadly that has been interfered with Mm -hmm. via the foe, the forces mm -hmm. of evil, who want to lock us in to a particular way of seeing and perceiving and being that limits the natural innate potential to become God or, mm -hmm. or an aspect of God. That we like then that. role model, that we then can be a role model for others in how to be godlike, if you like. <laughs> that, that we can always reach for, well, I just call it rising to your greatness. That we're, we're all flawed and we're, we're just little, we're animals. You know, we're, we're spirits riding around in these animal bodies. And we're limited. But we have this capacity to expand our awareness out into the entire cosmos and yeah. have these visions and these imaginings and and the idea of god as the creator well we little humans are inspired to create by this imagine this imagination that we're given this, that's where we meet God, is in the imaginal. Everything comes out of the imagination. There is mm -hmm. nothing in existence in, human, in the human realm that does not begin in the imagination and then is brought into form via our language and our physical ability to make stuff out of matter which is hmm. a miraculous thing right there that you can have an, an image or a thought or something in your imagination and that somehow that there is something within the, the will to bring that image idea or thought into material form 
is a miraculous thing. Truly. And it, and it happened, it's, you know, it's, it's part of obviously bringing forth children, but that, that's the physical manifestation of that process. We're birthing things all the time out of the imaginal mm. and giving them form and giving them form. And we're driven to, to make something out of what we experience in the imagination. Bob Proctor, if anybody knows who Bob Proctor is out there, he just passed away last year. Um, but he used to have this saying, he goes, what I want you to do is I, I want you to look around you. Whatever room you're in, look around you. Look at everything around you. Look at the walls, look at the, the TV, look at the things on the desk, look at everything around you. He goes, understand this, that everything that you see right now was once an idea within yeah. somebody's mind. That they brought into existence. Mm -hmm. Pretty profound when you look at it like that. Yeah, it's it's a miracle, and that we have this we have a split brain. Mm -hmm. That we have the one side of the brain typically associated with the left, although it's more complicated than that. But just for the purpose of talking about it, let's say the left brain is more concerned with analyzing and logic and synthesizing information and the right brain is more about understanding the information and the right brain is associated more with imagination and creativity and that act of having something like at least being aware that there's something in your imagination. I mean, that in itself. There, I mean, there's a whole lot of people, sadly, that that don't seem to be able to make that connection. Mm. Well, I, I think there's a whole <laughs> lot of people out there in the world that, that don't use their imagination. They have lost in touch with the imagination. Yeah. Um, they haven't was, downloaded the app for it. They, they haven't downloaded the app for it. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> I was listening to uh, Grandmaster Wolf, who's this... Uh, He's an Australian guy who spent like 20, 30 years in Buddhist monasteries and Zen monasteries. Um, And he was talking about this, um, like people always coming up to him like, dude, how do do I like decalcify and awaken my third eye? And he laughs at them. He goes, your third eye was never shut off. Your third eye has always been awake. You just don't know how to use it. And he goes, what I want you to understand is that your third eye is thought. It's imagination. It's emotion. It's intention. It's all those things that happen when you close your eyes and you begin to, to think and create inside your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and coming to that understanding is like, whoa, okay. And so I do know how to use it. But now that I know that that is that, Oh, yeah. it, it opens up so many different doors. Yeah. Just that little bit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just knowing that that is the, the process and that we're physically designed. I mean, the pineal gland is just so amazing. So, so this little, like the size of a raisin mm-hmm. in the very center of the brain, and it floats in an aqueous solution. So here's this little thing floating in there, and it's it's um, lined on the inside with photoreceptive cells, mm-hmm. the same kind of cells that are in your eyeball. 
So, and this is on the inside of this little teeny gland in the center of your brain. So what is that all about? Well, that's the, that's like the movie screen inside your brain where mm. you see your dreams, where you see your imaginings and your visions. And, and of course, it's connected with um, dimethyltryptamine, which according to Rick Strassman, who did finally prove that DMT is indeed produced by the pineal gland. Mm-hmm. And and that people who have these near death experiences and the opening to the light and everything, this is all what's going on in the pineal gland. Amazing, isn't it? Totally, it's mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. Um, and that you produce it three times in life: when you're born, when you die, and when you go to sleep at night. And if you use, you know, substances, <laughs> or uh, when you use substances, or meditate, you know. So, Lord Lee, did you know that there, um, there's a Cambridge University study that they're doing right now? It's a three-year-long study. They've been recruiting people and have people under uh, under this, this this study right now to map out the world of uh, dimethyltryptamine. So what Ooh. they've done is they've been able to replicate the effects of ayahuasca uh-huh. uh, with synthetic um, DMT. And okay. so... Uh-huh. Regular synthetic DNT, like Rick Strassman did, uh-huh. um, it would last about 15 minutes. Right. Um, they've been able to prolong this for eight to 12 hours through a drip Whoa. technique of giving people, keeping them in that peak state. Uh-huh. Um, and what they're doing is they're taking people into the state and they're taking notes and they're mapping it all out. And uh-huh. everybody's saying the same damn thing mm-hmm. crystal cities of light beings of light all mm-hmm. communicating with me they're explained so it reminds me of a book series out there called journey of souls by dr michael newton also uh dr brian weiss did one many lives many masters but journey of souls um he took people in between lives to the place that he would take them to the past life regressions and then he would take them to death in that past life and then say okay where are you at now and they'd all explain this place that they went to in mm. between lives and uh-huh. Dr. Michael Newton, um, I think he just passed away a few years ago, but he did well over 30,000 of these sessions. What? Uh, oh, yeah. From the, 1960, he, yeah, oh, from the yeah. 1960s to uh, just like about a few years ago until he passed away, he was wow. doing these. And he documented every single one of these. And there was a 92.5% accuracy of the place that everybody explained they went. Wow. In the sense of how it was structured, the the foundation of how it was all structured inside, there is uh, there was uh, various different levels, mm-hmm. kind of like it was like a martial arts studio. You had the masters and the elders, and you had uh, you know the white belts and the yellow belts and the black belts, and mm. everybody was at different levels of learning. That it was, this 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 life is all about a school. It's all about learning mm-hmm. and understanding consciousness before we can go to that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was uh, it's, it's a really cool book series. And I actually, I did one of the hypnotic sessions uh, after I read it and I did my life between life journey, um, which was kind of interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm a hard person to hypnotize and it's really self-hypnosis, mm-hmm. uh, but it was, it was really interesting. It, it, opened up so many profound windows in my life, uh, especially in the aspect of spirituality. I'd absolutely do it again. Well, it it sounds, what you're describing sounds a lot like, uh, well, 
Strassman's experiments mm-hmm. that he, you know, wrote about in the Spirit Molecule, but and also Terence McKenna, mm-hmm. who, who talked about the Elf machines and and the you know all the things that uh, he described in his uh, many journeys. I love Terence McKenna. I do too. I I would. Oh my gosh! I was given in like 1990 i think it was some cassette tapes uh of a workshop that took place in esalen a friend of mine had attended this workshop and and made these tapes that i copied they were like five one and a half hour you know tapes and i listened to those things thousands of times i mean terence mckenna absolutely blew my mind because he, it was the first time that I heard anyone make any sense out of uh, all the psychedelic experiences that I had, mm. and and also, you know, brought in science, the the science component of things, because he was a scientist, right? Um, in in addition to being, you know, kind of a wild shaman guy. <laughs> Well, he was more of a, a more of a savant. I mean, if, yeah. if there was a classification of Aspergers back in his yeah. day, he would definitely He'd be on the spectrum. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and he was just a, a hyper genius, but yeah. he was a psychonaut that just loved to explore yeah. the other yeah. realms. And you know, another one of that same caliper would be uh, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. Oh. Have you ever, oh, you should check him out. Robert Anton Wilson, just, oh man, well, a philosopher of our times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit about him, but not deeply. But I, I absolutely just, I mean, nights when I'm like just relaxing and I want to just hang out and hear something cool, I'll just throw some Terrence McKenna on and uh-huh. uh, in, you know, his time wave zero and all yeah. the different theories. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The singularity. But, Yep, the singularity. And, and it was really, supposed to come at, at on the winter solstice of 2012. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that did not come to pass. And uh, as from from an astrological point of view, when I you know was listening to Terence a lot and talking about this, and I kept looking at that, you know, what what's with the winter solstice 2012? Because astrologically, there wasn't really much going on there. I mean, not something that would, you know, go, whoa, this is an awesome moment. Um, but what was the big one, it, at least from an astrological point of view, was the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in January mm. of 2020. So mm. I think that what Terence was talking about, um, maybe he had the dates off of it. And that it was actually that the all the stuff that was supposed to happen was um not on the winter solstice 2012 but rather under the saturn pluto conjunction in january well in the mayan jews a hexadecimal format mathematics for their calendar system and so one of the theories was is that they were off by eight years oh Wow. Which 2020 plus eight years is interesting. Wow. Is um, which makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, but also 2012, the world almost did end in 2012. And we, we actually talked about this. Um, 
the world almost ended in 2012 and the government never told anybody and actually classified it until 2014. What? You, what is this? No, I haven't heard this. Okay. What is this all about? There was um, two solar flares that occurred in 2012 in July. Um, wow. And the solar flares were headed to earth. They were going to hit and they would have been like, I think like three to five times larger than the Carrington event. Whoa. And would have wiped out all electronics. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything gone. Um, and the government knew that they were coming. All the governments of the world knew they were coming and they didn't say anything. Both of them. They didn't say anything. They declassified the information um, in 2014 or 2015. And the interesting thing is, is they say that one passed by earth between the earth and the moon. What? You're talking about a solar flare. It doesn't just like, yeah. it's, not, it's not like a, a can yeah. flying through the That's air. Right. But then you um, you get into it and a lot of people came forth after it was declassified and said that, look, we were part of this. We don't know why they didn't hit us. Oh, that's so interesting. So this was gonna this was gonna happen in June 2012? July of 2012. Okay. And uh that a lot of reports were saying that the solar flares were deflected, that something caused them to deflect away from the planet. Wow. Now I go back to the collective consciousness and I look back and I think of all the thoughts and the imaginations of humanity from 20, 2000 Y2K to 2012. Mm, yeah. Y2K. Thinking, thinking that it was end times, thinking that yep. the world was going to end and yep. that collective imagination is what allowed the sun to produce that big burst of energy that head towards the planet. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Pretty crazy, but morally, well, yeah, go ahead, mm-hmm. go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say uh, that what, what I mentioned in my little blurb in the beginning um, uh, about how things were beginning, that, that the foundation that was being laid to the event in 2020 actually started in um, 2011. Mm. And and my theory is that the tsunami, the uh, the tsunami in um, Fukushima, because it, the, the astrology of that is really fascinating. So mm. Uranus was, um, I'm just looking it up here in my, yeah, here we go. So... The, the moment of, of that tsunami, Uranus was in the last few minutes of the sign of Pisces, and the next day it went into Aries. And Neptune, the ruler of Pisces, went out of Aquarius and into Pisces on the 4th of April. So just following. So mm. so these two major planets changing signs. So Uranus is the ruler of Aquarius, the sign that Neptune was in in the very late degrees. And then it moved, Neptune did, into its own sign on the, actually it was the 3rd of April um, on the new moon in Aries. 
And Neptune has been in Pisces ever since then. So, hmm. so Neptune and Pisces, Neptune is the god of the seas, and Pisces, the, the sign ruled by Neptune, is related to the oceanic depths. So here we have this tsunami, this great wave, uh, right happening right in the last degree when Uranus, the great liberator, is in the very last few minutes of Pisces. And Uranus, the ruler of Aquarius, where Neptune was at the time, and then Neptune moves into Pisces and Uranus moves into Aries. Okay, so here's what's coming up shortly. So Neptune has been in Pisces all of this time. Neptune is getting ready to move into Aries. And this is going to start in March of 2025. Mm. And Uranus is now in Taurus. So we just talked about these earthquakes and things like this, this shaking of the earth, right? Um, is going to leave Taurus and enter Gemini also in 2025. So in July of 2025, we're going to have a Saturn-Neptune conjunction in Aries. Aries, the first sign of the zodiac, represents the energy of the sprouting seed. Zero degrees of Aries is the first day of spring. By that time, Uranus will be in Gemini and Pluto will be in Aquarius. So this is mid-2025 major radical shift of outer planets into brand new signs, which are different archetypal energies. I mean, this is an unusual thing yeah. to, to be happening. And, it, and it's major. And I think we're feeling now the, you know, the, the um, movement towards these kinds of transformational transitions of outer planets that represent the outer planets represent transpersonal archetypes transpersonal energies yes they do play out in our actual personal lives but the outer planets have more to do with what is happening within the collective these major cycles right like saturn is a 30-year cycle Uranus is an 84-year cycle. Neptune is a 165-year cycle. And Pluto is a 248-year cycle. So, so these are long spans of time. You know, Saturn really being the only one that, that we can experience in our own personal life. And if you live to be more than 84, well, then you'll have a Uranus return as well. But no but no individual human being is going to have a Neptune return or hmm. a Pluto return in their life. Interesting. So, so since 2011, these forces have been building up and that great wave that happened, uh, I would say it was the beginning of hmm. all of these changes that have rolled on down since then in in the lord of the rings eowyn 
has a dream of a great wave. Hmm. She says, I see a great wave rising over hills and green lands. I stood upon the brink. The abyss at my feet is utterly dark. A light shone behind me, but I could not turn. I could only stand there waiting. Hmm. I think that's where we are. We're waiting. We're waiting. The big wave came. And we know that there is light, right? But we can't quite see it. We have to wait. I would say for these changes coming up. We have to wait for the changes. The metamorphosis. It's metamorphosis. We are being altered into entirely different creatures. I agree. Like, we're like evolving. The caterpillar becoming the butterfly. That's that's why it's the Great Awakening. Is we're mm-hmm. we're we're evolving consciously, and and, and you're right because you know what's interesting is that a lot of the people I've talked to, everybody's waiting for something. Mm-hmm. Everybody's waiting. It's like when is it going to happen? We're all waiting for yep. it. You know, and it doesn't matter what like genre of belief a person's in. You know, the Christians are waiting for Jesus yep. to come back. Mm-hmm. Yep. The uh, the the New the Agers body. are waiting for the the sol- the big uh, um you know solar flash. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, us Doomers are waiting for the the global collapse. But everybody's <laughs> waiting for something. Mm-hmm. And we all believe it's going to come. Mm-hmm. And it is one way or another. Yeah. So you know, hopefully. It it will mean there there is a deep spiritual metamorphosis, and that we humans we have the potential to be like elves mm. in Lord of the Rings. That that elvishness is what we are aspiring to. That that our evolution is moving us in that direction. Hmm. And elves, you think about the way the elves lived. So their purpose was to be in absolute perfect harmony with nature. So so they they felt that their job was to enhance the beauty of nature by by living in absolute harmony with it. Like they lived in the trees. And yet there there was beauty everywhere. Everything they touched, they they made beauty, and the, and the the idea was that the beauty they made was an, an enhancement of the beauty of nature that was already there. Mm. Interesting. Have you ever thought? Um, and I'm curious your perspective on this in the sense of how Tolkien maybe wrote this. With all the variations of species in Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. do you believe that Tolkien wrote them as um, kind of derivations of humanity? That each one of them represented kind of a a class of humanity? 
where you had the yeah. elves, which would be the hive man and the 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 magical man, right? That was in uh -huh. tune with nature. You right. have the 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 humans who are just those who you know they they go about their natural habitat within their society. They build, they create, they destroy, they 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 reproduce, they eat, they consume. Um, you have the the hobbits, which are more kind of like the elves and in tune more with themselves and nature, but not really interested in what all the rest of the humans are really doing. Um, you have, uh, I'm forgetting their names, but you have like the, the very dwarves. low level. Yeah. The dwarves they're, 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 they're shorter. So they're more in the basal chakra area and they're just, they're not as intelligent, but they're, they're rowdy. They're, 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 they, they, they like to have fun. They like the joke. They like to go out there and take part in things. And, you know, they, uh, they, they like to compete and these types of things. And it, to me, it's like all the variations of perspectives of how uh, man's evolution kind of can mm -hmm. go from this very basal level to this very high level intellectual side to very kind of just normal and mundane. Mm hmm. Oh yeah. And that each of those characters and represent qualities um, and, and personality types. Like I also see it as, as like personality types. Um, so dwarves were the, great miners and craftsmen of the mountain halls. So they they weren't just, you know, grunts. They they lived in inside the earth and mm. they mined and they I mean they were the ones that really did most of the work and they made the the beautiful things the that the elves in fact um, desired. The beautiful jewelry and and the uh, mithril uh, vest that uh, Frodo was given to protect him from the, you know, the dragon stuff and arrows and whatnot. <laughs> so so, the, and elvishness, like you could equate elves to you know, the academic types to, you know, intellectual academic types and, you know, the meditators and the Zen practitioners mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Whereas the, the dwarves are more, they're the, you know, the bikers, the rodeo riders, the farmers, you know, the, the rough and tumble, you know, kind of rough around the edges uh, individuals and then the 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 realm of men are those who have qualities of all of them mm. have have all the qualities and the, the hobbits are representations of the child archetype ah, right cuz they're they're depicted as being about the size of a, a child of about 5 years old even though they're adults and but they're the the imagery and stories of the the hobbits and the shire it, it's very much like the the realm of the divine child the playful child the garden of the divine child you know it's all fun and happy and playful and but they grow stuff you know they're it's very fertile hmm fascinating wonderful mm -hmm.
So it, I, I mean, the char- those characters can represent stages of development for sure. I mean that the the Lord of the Rings is so rich and deep and complex a, as a myth that it, it's it's just absolutely incredible that this man named J.R.R. Tolkien received this transmission while sitting in the trenches in World War One. I. I know. With his little notebook. And he gets this major download. It's a fascinating story. There's a good TikTok video going out about it. Really? Is that right? Yeah, about, about Tolkien and about um, how he wasn't just some sci-fi author. He was anything uh-uh. but... Oh yeah, he, a mystic. I think he was a mystic. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know this. Mm. Yeah. Man, I could uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. That'd be amazing. But, I'm I'm gonna rewatch the series. I think you've inspired. Oh, me. definitely do it. Okay. Definitely do it. Mm-hmm. You haven't watched what? Uh, no, I've watched it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, maybe I can entice you, Vince, to watch my analysis oh, of, okay. of the series. Where do we get it? <laughs> At, on my website. All right. Well, that website, everybody's in the descriptions. It's in the chat. And also, yeah. I'm going to post some relevant information on the social red pill after the show. And Perfect. it'll be there as well. So you guys can Great. all check it guys. out as well. Yeah, uh, and so if anybody wants to visit uh, Laura Lee and uh, see what she's got going on and maybe get one of her sessions, I know a lot of you already have, and and they're great, and I highly recommend them. Um, You can go to her website, which we put out there already, but the easiest way is I created her a a short link, and so everybody knows redpills.tv, so you can go redpills.tv slash Laura Lee, L-O-R-A-L-E-E. And so that's the easiest way to get there, redpills.tv slash L-O-R-A-L-E-E. Um, so check that out. Laura Lee, man, we, we ran out of time, but I, I, oh, appreciate, yeah. I appreciate you coming on with us. And I, I got to start having oh, you I on Oh, I love coming often. on with you. <laughs> this is so fun. It was a fun night. I've been waiting for this. Like I said in the beginning, I don't maybe before you got on, I was looking forward to this all day. I was just Oh great. Well, thank you, Vince. Yeah, yeah, I haven't met you yet, at least not virtually. <laughs> right. I'm in the shadows usually. Uh-huh. Sometimes. But great. pleasure to meet well, you. Mm, likewise. Well, yeah, this has been awesome. And uh it's kind of stormy here and I the power is kind of flickering. Uh-oh. So uh, I'm amazed that we've been able to get through this without the power going out here. So that's always good. Well, I'm glad that we had good reception. I'm glad we had a great conversation, Laura Lee. Yeah. And we'll definitely get you back on. And uh, everybody go out and go to redpills.tv slash Laura Lee, L-O-R-A-L-E-E. Laura Lee, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Guys, we're going to go over the Fringe After Dark. That's on socialredpill.com, socialredpill.com. You can join with a free subscription or you can get a, uh, a regular subscription to help support us. But we'll be at Fringe After Dark in about 10 minutes. If you want to find out more about that, head on over to socialredpill.com. Vince, Laura Lee, thank you guys so much for joining me tonight. All much right. love, respect. Thank God you. Bless and thank Take you care. to your audience for listening. Thanks, Laura Lee. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye.